worship you. The sweet anointing of your presence is so much more important than the words that I have to say. So, Lord, we just linger here for a moment with our eyes turned to you. Lord, rid us of that mindset that says, what's next? Moving on, going to the next thing. Time for the sermon. Lord, rid us of that mindset and help us to rest in you, to be still before the Lord, the mighty one who will return to judge the living and the dead, the father who loves us so much. He sent his son to pay the price for our sins and our salvation that we might be the dwelling place of his spirit. We worship you, Jesus, for your work on the cross. We worship you for all of your glory and majesty. We worship you as our King, our Judge, our Savior. We love you, Lord, and we need you in this place this morning. Holy Spirit, come and anoint your word. Anoint my lips. Anoint all of our hearts that we can hear what you desire to speak clearly to us today. We thank you, Lord, for this time over your word and ask that your blessing uh, would be here now. We give you our undivided attention, Lord God. For your words are sweeter than honey to the lips. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, I love December in uh, Florida, and I love posting pictures to all my friends and family up north. It's kind of like a subtle nana nana boo boo. But uh, yesterday, of course, it's December 11th and it's 85 degrees and sunny out. So what else would I do other than go to the beach with my son? So I, I, I took my three-year-old son to the beach. And when I got off, um, now this story is, is, is sort of embarrassing, but it's, I think, worth telling. But I got off the freeway and we were heading to uh, the Ormond, Daytona beach area. And I noticed that Sam's Club had gas for $2.87. And unfortunately, right now, that's an incredible deal on gas. Um, and so I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to get in line. There's only three cars ahead of me and I'm going to wait for gas. So we're sitting in line for probably about 15 minutes or so. And then we pull up and I get out and I stub my, my card in and it says, uh, does not recognize Sam's membership card. And I realize you have to have a Sam's club membership to get gas at Sam's. How bogus is that? What a, what a, what a, what a, what a sick joke to rub that, 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 that beautiful gas price sign in your face and then put no signs up that say, by the way, don't wait in line if you don't have a Sam's Club. <laughs> Sometimes uh, you have a revelation that you don't have what you need to do what you need to do. And I had that revelation of several years ago when it came to having the power of God in my ministry to be able to minister to people effectively and to uh, witness people to, to people about Jesus and, 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 and bring them in to the kingdom. I was missing something. This was my realization. There are uh, I started the Lord started bringing people in my path and surrounding my, me by people who became very clear to me that they had something that I did not have. Now, when you have this realization, you can go one of two ways with it. You can be prideful and arrogant and say, oh, you know, all these little holy roller Christians, they think they're better than I am. Right. Or you can just be humble and say, God, I want that because I whatever is on that guy over there. I need some of that. So God, show me how I can get some of that because that guy's effective in your kingdom. 
Okay, so those are kind of the two responses. And uh, by God's grace, I came to the place to finally admitting like I need that. I need the spiritual power that heals the sick. I need the spiritual power that helps me overcome my fear of what people think with me when I begin to talk to them about Jesus and God. This is only something you can do for me. So I began to seek God and seek his face uh, fervently until I was drenched in his spirit and his spirit's power. Okay, so I want to talk today about spirit baptism and how Jesus is the spirit baptizer. But I want to let's just jump right into Luke chapter three. I want to make a couple of comments on it before we get into that uh, specific material. Now, John the Baptist, um, he would be, you know, if he was in churches today, people would say, don't go to his church. You're going to need six years of psychotherapy if you listen to any of his sermons. Right. Because we live in a culture that is very people are very fragile and nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings. And the, the most important thing is that everybody feels good. And uh, John the Baptist uh, starts his sermons. And imagine me starting this sermon with you today. Good morning, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Show your repentance is real by actually living a life that proves it. Okay, that was John's message. But John the Baptist, Jesus called him the greatest of all people to walk the earth. And we read at the end of the gospel message today that John was preaching good news. Okay, so good news involves a change of life. It involves a change of heart. It involves true repentance that brings about justice and truth and righteousness in our life. But John was just the one who was laying down the path for he was he was rolling up the red carpet for the real star of the show, which was Jesus, the Messiah. And John was preaching and he was preparing people. He was saying, I'm here to prepare you to turn your hearts toward God. And that's what John's baptism was all about, was it was an outward uh, it was an outward act of showing my heart is turning from sin and listlessness and all of that stuff. And I'm turning back to the God of Israel. OK, this was this was happening in Israel. So this is Jewish people. And John was preparing them. And they were so, John had such an anointing to bring people to the Lord that even tax collectors, they were, just, they were considered just horrible by the Jewish people because they, they overtaxed them and they stole for the Romans and they were just considered horrible. These were the worst of sinners and even they were coming out and John had such an anointing on his life that even they were brought to repentance. We need preaching like that again in the pulpit in the church today. We need the preaching like that in the pulpit in the church today. But I digressed. Now, the people were so astounded with John's ministry and the power of his uh, message that they began to think that maybe this is God's guy. Maybe this is Messiah. Maybe this is the Christ. And John is not going to let them be mistaken about that. And so he says this. We're moving now down to verse 16. And here's how John responds. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Hallelujah. Now, what is this all about? Okay. John says that this other person is going to come. He's greater. He's more powerful. John says, I can't even be his servant and tie his sandals for him on his dirty feet. I'm not even worthy. So don't look at me as the Messiah. So what is this all about? This person who is going to come, he's going to baptize you in Holy Spirit and fire. Now, what does baptize mean? It's just a word that means to drench or to soak. Okay, so it means being immersed, soaked, drenched, sopping wet with something. Okay, but 
This one is going to get you sopping wet in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. This is the very reason that Jesus came. He came to die for our sins, but he came to baptize people in the Spirit of God, to immerse us so that we're dripping with the Spirit of God, the very same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead wants to empower you, wants to soak you, wants to immerse you so that you can do the things that Jesus did. That's good news. Are you excited about that? I know that I am. And let's just think about this for a minute. So, okay, yes, Jesus came to die for our sins, right? Well, why did he need to do that? Because Adam and Eve, those stinkers, they, they, they did the one thing he told them not to do. They fell into sin and the whole world was infected with their rebellion, with the power of sin. And the result of that is something that we humans feel the effect of today still is that humans were exiled from God's presence. So to be exiled from God's presence means you go away far from it. Why? Because sin in our hearts, God's holy and good and perfect and beautiful, and he can't abide sin in his hearts. And so this is what the problem that Jesus came to deal with. He came to provide remission of sins by giving his sacrifice on the cross because Jesus wants to reverse that exile. So what would be the absolute opposite and reverse of exile from God's presence? Immersion in the spirit of God to be soaked and drenched in his presence. That's what Jesus came for. And the cross was the price that he paid so that you and I could have the fullness of that drenching, of that immersion, of being baptized in the very presence and spirit of God. Hallelujah. I'm going to say that a lot today. Okay. So I want to talk for just a few minutes from the heart about baptism in the spirit. And it's a very controversial subject in Christianity. I know the theolo- many theologians have theologized the life rate out of it as they are wont to do. But I want to try to make a, a case for what I believe this is all about. Now, I believe that it is by grace we are saved through faith. So when someone says, Jesus, I trust you, I believe you've died for my sins, they have genuinely turned away from their life of sin. God says, you are forgiven, you are not guilty in the courts of heaven forever and ever. My life now is coming to live in you. Hallelujah. And that is salvation, okay? Faith is a, is a saving act whereby which we take hold of the good promises of God in Christ Jesus that we can be freed of sin. Okay? And when that happens, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. You become his home. And he is a person, by the way, not a, not a force. He comes to live in you, and you notice this. You have noticed this, that he begins to affect changes in your life, in your personality, in the way that you interact with people. He, you start to notice that you're getting some nudges that are giving you direction in life. And you start to notice um, that you have a little bit more of an enablement to pray, to have communication with God. You have this new kind of newfound sense that God loves me and I'm accepted by my Heavenly Father. That's the Holy Spirit working all those things in you. So if you have put your trust in Jesus and you have experienced sincere repentance and not just saying a prayer, but actually turning away from a life of sin... Turning to Jesus, you have that, okay? The Holy Spirit is living in you. But it's very clear from the Bible that there's more, okay? There's more that needs to happen, not for you to be saved, but for you to be able to flow in the power that God wants you to flow in, 
Okay. Now I, you know, several years ago, I had been a Christian for, I don't know, coming up on 10 years. And I, I knew that I had the indwelling of the spirit. I had the, the testimony of the spirit in my heart that I was saved, that I was forgiven, that I was walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I had this, but I realized there was more because you know what? Apart from my own wife, I never told anybody about Je- I'd never brought anybody to Jesus. I'd never led anybody to Jesus in almost 10 years of being a Christian. Now, now I look back on that and I think, man, that is sad, but I understand. I understand why. And God is patient and he was patient with me. But what I needed, what I was realizing is that this indwelling spirit in me, he needed to be released like a flow of water gushing out of me. Because that's what Jesus said would happen to believers. He said, those who believe in me, who are thirsty for me, will come and drink by putting their trust in me. And they're going to have rivers of living water gushing out of their heart. So that's the power that goes out of us. It gets released out of us to minister to the people in the world who don't know Jesus yet. And most of us live our Christian lives when it comes to testifying about Jesus in, in fear. Okay, fear is a big thing. It's the, probably the number one thing that keeps us from telling about Jesus if we're honest with ourselves because we're afraid of what people think. We'll, we'll afraid, we're afraid that we'll bumble and get our words all mixed up. We'll, we're afraid that we'll embarrass ourselves and look stupid and all of those things. So let me ask you a question. I heard this at, someone asked this the other day, and I thought this was a great question. What would you do for Jesus if you had ten times more boldness? If you had ten times more boldness than you do right now? And think about it for a second, okay? And if you have any answer to that question, that, that, that means that there's too much fear in your life. I was like, whoa, when I heard that. That is so true. Convicting. Okay? Because we should be walking in that boldness and flowing in it and overcoming fear. But something needs to happen so that we can overcome that fear and be witnesses for Jesus. Now, listen, Jesus said to his disciples, okay, so he died He was raised from the dead, and then it says he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, So they received his spirit. But then, a few minutes later, he said, I'm going back home. I want you guys to go into the city, and I want you to get together and have a big prayer meeting, and I want you to what? Wait until what? You are clothed with power from on high. Okay, so they had received the Holy Spirit, but now there was some period of time in between that day and Pentecost when they were all gathered together in that prayer meeting. And then the Spirit was released like gushing rivers of living water out of them when he came on them in power and they all began to proclaim the mighty deeds of God in the languages of the people that were there. Okay, so I just want us to see that for a second and think about that there was a a, a secondary kind of encounter with the Holy Spirit that they have. Okay, so the the primary reason that this has to happen for every believer is not for our own well-being so much as it is for the sake of others, namely the lost, those who have not received salvation in Jesus name. It is so that we will be his witnesses. This is what Jesus said. Now, this is important little detail. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So he doesn't say you will receive power and you will witness. Hear me? You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. 
Okay, so when the Holy Spirit is released, it's like a whole like shift in our identity. It's not just, oh, now I, I now I have a new toolkit. Now, now I have a new tool in my toolkit. I can witness. It's like a it's like a changing in a deepening of our identity in Christ that our identity now in the spirit's power comes on us is witness. This is one of my witnesses. Okay, that's how Jesus thinks of us. You see, when you are full of the spirit. When you are baptized, drenched in the Spirit, and flowing in His power, when you witness to people, they are not going to just get a testimony of words that come from your mouth. They're going to get a heavy grade A dose of the presence of God working, resting on you and working through you to affect them. Okay? So this is not so much about, like, increasing our rational capacity to be able to articulate the gospel more clearly. This is about the presence and power of God resting on us in such a way that people are having an encounter with the presence of the living God. You hear what I'm saying? So, now maybe you say, maybe you say, I need that. Okay. Or maybe you say, I had that. I need it again. Because the disciples in the book of Acts, there's numerous times it says, They prayed, they cried out with God. They said, give us boldness, give us signs and wonders. We need to preach for Jesus in the face of opposition. And it said they were filled with the Holy Spirit, but they were also filled on Pentecost. Okay, so I think I think this is the picture that the Bible paints is that we're saved and we receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, and sometimes we go for very I went for a very long time, almost 10 years. And then we realize, and sometimes it happens for some people right at salvation, right when they receive the Holy Spirit, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't put all this stuff in a box and say it all happens always like this. It can be different for every person. But I do believe that by the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the Bible is describing uh, an experience that is uh, a part of or even separate from the original salvation experience of putting our trust in Jesus. And it's the it's that's the thing that is what is the gap. It seals the gap. It breaches the gap in between us being Christians who are saved and Christians who are bold witnesses for Jesus. That's the whole point of it is to be empowered with his gifts and his presence and his power. So maybe you say, I need that. Or maybe you say, I need that again. Or maybe you say, I'm not sure about that, but I want to be open to that. Maybe there's something that other believers have who are more effective than me, who are ministering to others in a power that I don't have. Maybe you are there with one of those things. And so I want to uh, just share kind of I'm not going to give you uh, how to's because there's there's not a formula so much as there is a positioning of your heart. Okay. There's no I know there's lots and lots of books on baptism, in the Holy Spirit, and some of them are more helpful than others. And some of you give, some of them actually give you steps one, two, and three. Okay, maybe that works. God uses anything. God's hungry to baptize people, to immerse them in His Spirit. Holy Spirit wants to, to, to come in power. But I, I, I want to say that there is, um, what's more important is that our hearts are positioned properly. So I often, going back to my, my three-year-old boy, I play baseball with him in the backyard. He loves, uh, he loves sports stuff. I don't, but somehow he got that from somewhere else. 
Um, but so when we play baseball, you know, he's three, so he needs a lot of instruction. Now, I can't catch the ball for him, but I have to give him instructions on how to position himself to catch it. Okay, Ben, you got to put your hands a little bit lower. You got to cup them together like this. Now you got to move, you got to kind of wait for the ball to fall, right? So I have to kind of instruct him so that he can be positioned to receive what's coming at him. Okay, and I, that's what I think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that you can't like say, okay, God, I did steps one, two, and three. Now baptize me in your Holy Spirit. But what we can do is look at scripture and look at some of the things in scripture that we see led to people being empowered by the Spirit. And I want to talk about three of those things. Number one is this. Prayer. Prayer is two people who love each other speaking to each other. Okay, it's the spirit, the Holy Spirit, his manner is to wait until he is sought. Now, there are exceptions to that. There are people who have got absolutely, totally toasted by the Holy Spirit in beautiful ways. They weren't expecting it or looking for it. But that seems to be the exception, not the rule. I want to read you, read you this. Uh, this is from E.M. Bounds, who is, uh, you've probably, some of you probably heard of him. He was uh, old-time Christian writer, on, especially on the life of prayer. And he said this. He said, of so many of God's children, it may truly be said, ye have him not because ye ask not. And of many others, it might be said, ye have him in faint measure because ye pray for him in faint measure. Romans chapter 12 tells us to be zealous for the Lord, to be fervent in prayer. Okay. How's my zeal level? How's my zeal? Okay. God wants each of us to have a consuming zeal for the presence of his son, Jesus. Hallelujah. He wants that in each of us. But there is a way in which we have to fight for that, don't we? Because we've got this nasty little flesh that says, ah, oh, you're too tired to pray. Ah, oh, you prayed for 15 minutes. That's enough. Ah, right, right. There's this, this, this battle, this internal battle. And so we've got to position ourselves into a place of prayer because the Father loves nothing more than to find a soul with aching and tears crying out, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. I need you so bad, Lord. The Father loves nothing more than that kind of humility and that kind of zeal. Now, in, at Pentecost, these group of disciples, they were gathered to an upper room. And what were they doing? Were they just twiddling their thumbs? No. We read this in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. In the upper room, it said they all joined together constantly in prayer. And that word constantly, what it means is to adhere to, to be steadfastly attentive unto, or to give unremitting care to a thing. So it's focused, intentional, fervent prayer. And they were all doing that. And they were waiting. That's what they were doing while they were waiting. And the Spirit came upon them for power, and the world was changed. Thanks be to God. Okay. God is so much more concerned. His churches crying out to Him. Spirit of prayer. Then plans and staying on schedules and making sure dot 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 is all in place you believe me and we i believe we started to see that last week we said let's just we're going to kind of pause on the written prayers and we're just going to pray and people just started praying and i think it sometimes it helps because what we need to do myself included is that if i have the written prayers there sometimes it's like it's easy to fall on the crutch right 
but sometimes to develop our own intimacy with the Lord and our ability to pray as a corporate body, we just need to kind of kick the crotch out from, from underneath and just go for it. And I, it was a beautiful time of prayer last week, and I want to do that. I want to do that today because God is so much more concerned that we are attending to his presence and ministering to him in gratitude and thanksgiving and in joy than he is making sure that every check mark on the bulletin is <laughs> finished. Okay, It's a framework. I, I know I preach that a lot, but I, you can't emphasize it enough. I know we Episcopalians like our, our orderly service. Okay, number two, what's another way in which God seems to uh, baptize people in his spirit? It is through what we would call impartation. It's kind of like a woo kind of word, impartation, but it's biblical, and it just simply means that something is imparted primarily through the laying on of hands. Okay, and we see that all throughout Scripture. God, Jesus told his disciples, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That means that something was going to be imparted through their hands to bring healing into their body. Okay? Now, we also see that in, uh, as it pertains to people being ordained to ministry in the New Testament at all. Paul tells Timothy, well, the elders laid their hands on you. And then he also tells him, you received a spiritual gift when that happened. Okay, so there's some way in which God is a God of physicality. He likes to use his material world and he uses touch. And he often, people are filled with the Holy Spirit when we read through the book of Acts in that way. Okay, so if if the apostles discovered that someone had not yet encountered the power of the spirit, they were quick to get to them and lay hands on them. So there's a couple examples in the book of Acts, but one of them is from Acts chapter eight. And it just says about the Samaritans, it said they'd received the word of God. They'd become disciples of Jesus. And Peter and John, they found out, well, they haven't had the they haven't received the power of the spirit yet. And so Peter and John get they, they hightail it. They get there and it says uh, Peter and John place their hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. OK, that they were like, we got to seal the deal here and get you the whole package so that you can be witnesses for Jesus. So for me, I, 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 I that's, that was part of my own story of being baptized in the spirit was I asked other people to come pray for me and lay hands on me and something was imparted. It was awesome. OK. So God wants to use us and he wants to impart things to us. And then he wants to impart more of that thing that you receive to other people. Like we're supposed to be conduits of the power of the Holy Spirit in healing and miracles and deliverance in other people coming to know Jesus. Our, our hands, by the power of the Spirit resting on us, are able to be vessels of anointing and, de- and deliverance to other people. Isn't that awesome? Okay. It has nothing to do with you or me or my, our hands, though. It has everything to do with the power of God and what he's told us to do. Okay, so that's number two. Number three is what I call humble hunger. I just like the H's there, I guess, today. So number three is humble hunger. So as you as I'm preaching all this and you're considering all of this, naturally, your rational faculties Go to work and you begin to process what the pastor is saying from the pulpit and you begin to start to consider your own life and things and you start thinking about uh, this, that and the other thing. Some of you are afraid that we're going to pray for people soon to be receiving the Holy Spirit, which we are and all of that. And it's natural, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> sorry. The joy of the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. It's all his fault because he's always laughing in the joy of the Lord. And then you start ministering together and it starts to rub off on you. You need him to lay hands on you so you get that joy. 
But as you consider all this, the rational mind starts going like this. Have I had it? Do I need it? Uh, am I going to have to get prayed for? Is something weird going to happen? Da, 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 right? And you're going to ra- you're going to rationalize yourself right out of the blessing that God has for you. Okay. So the rational mind has to bend a knee to what the spirit is saying and doing. The rational mind has to bend a knee. I'm not saying you rid yourself of your rational mind, but the rational mind has to bend a knee and yield to the spirit and just say, God, I just need you. I'm not going to rationalize it anymore. And the, the voice of the enemy will also come in and start throwing all kinds of doubts and, and condemnation on you because you know what? He, the thing he's most afraid of? A Christian who's flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's terrified. Okay, so we just silence that voice of the enemy right now in Jesus' name in this room. Right now in Jesus' name. Now, some of you have heard this kind of message before, maybe numerous times. And uh, maybe you, you've always just been uh, reluctant or hesitant to get prayed for, to, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, or to have a new level of release of the Spirit's power in you, or you've rationalized yourself uh, right out of it, right out of the blessing that God has for you. And maybe some of you, I want to encourage you because maybe some of you are like, well, I got prayed for and it didn't seem like anything happened. Okay, the Bible says, when you seek me with all of your heart, then you will find me. So I'm not saying you weren't seeking genuinely then, but there is something to be said for continuing to press into the things of God and God honors that. And so who of us could say that we at least don't need to be freshly filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that we can be his witnesses in the world. So don't be discouraged or think or believe the lie from the enemy that have anything for you today at this altar because that is a lie. God has something for you today no matter what you are going through in life right now. And it takes humility. Okay? It takes humility. And there, there's no personality barrier that you have. Whatever the enemy tells you, that's not your personality. There's no personality barrier, barrier that the Holy Spirit can't break down and just renew and refresh and revitalize. Okay? It's for introverts and extroverts alike. You see, your hunger to a spirit-drenched life has to take the helm today. Your hunger has to take the, the wheel today and let the rational mind take a back seat because sometimes the holy spirit comes on us and we do things that our rational mind is horrified at okay (laughs) sometimes that happens be it laughter or crying and in the book of acts I'm, i'm i'm coming close here in the book of acts every time someone is filled with the holy spirit um what happens is when we read about when they describe the manifestations, it's always some kind of an inspired utterance. Okay, they speak in a new language. The Bible calls it the gift of tongues. They're able to praise God in a language with which they're not familiar. Or they prophesy. So they be, just begin to declare the mighty things of God. And God is just putting stuff on your mind and your heart. And you just have a boldness just to, to cry it out in prayer to God. Okay, so what you should expect when you come with an expectant heart to be filled with the Holy Spirit is that God might want to just use your tongue to praise him, sing his praises and declare things. And you can't be afraid about that. Okay, we believe in that stuff in this church. Okay, and we want to be a welcome place for all of that um, in its biblical context. Okay, 
The Father, here's what it comes down to, is the Father desires that we long for intimacy with him like he longs for intimacy with us. Okay? Now, here's what I want to say because this is the most important thing that I'm going to say all day, okay? There's all of the, the thinking about positioning our hearts and, and all of that. But I want to be clear about the, the being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It is not earned. It's not something that you prove yourself to God and show him your worth so that he will give it to you. If you had a bomb out of a night last night and you went out and you got wrecked, And you send your little hiney off. If you have brought that to Jesus and said, please forgive me, I messed up. Your record is clean and he's ready to fill you with his Holy Spirit today. Okay? And so, don't be hindered by that. Okay? It's not earned. It's a gift that Father gives to you. To seek the Spirit's baptism is to plunder the treasure of an inheritance that already belongs to you in Christ. To seek the Spirit's baptism is to plunder a treasure, an inheritance that already belongs to you because of what Jesus did for you. Jesus died to make you a fit dwelling place for the presence and power of God. He took everything out of your life that stood in the way of that. Not so that you could just receive forgiveness of sins, but so that you yourself could become God's temple and dwelling place and that his power would rest on you and flow through you in amazing and miraculous ways. So think about it like this. You uh, work a job and you believe your checking account gets $300 deposited every week. Okay, that's your income and you go and you work and you never get a raise because your boss is not nice and you go for years and you work and you go on that assumption. And so you use your checking card, your debit card, and uh, you use it on the assumption that there's three hundred dollars per week and you make sure to always keep the balance under that. And you go for years and then you go for decades and then you get to retirement. Okay, so you live very frugally. I mean, this was this must have been in the 1920s or something because you couldn't even barely live on it today. But. You, you come to retirement and you're refiguring your finances and you're deciding you need to go to the bank and you're actually going to pull your, your money out and put it somewhere else. And you go to the bank and you ask them for your balance and the teller prints out the balance and there's over $70 million in your bank account. And you're like, what? Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Did you spell my, the, the name right? And they're like... No, 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 sir. We, we definitely spelled the name right. It's very clear. It's, you know, yes, I can see that you've had very small, you know, expenditures and withdrawals, but you, you had an inheritance that came to you about 10 years ago. It was deposited. You didn't get the paperwork for it. Oh, you didn't get the, the memo that the Holy Spirit in all of his fullness is your inheritance because it hasn't been preached from the pulpit. <laughs> okay. So all this time you had access to glorious riches. And you live very frugally and very carefully. I'm telling you that today the inheritance is there and you can draw on it because Jesus paid to deposit it into your account 2,000 years ago. Hear me? Okay. If you then... Jesus says, though you are evil, 
know how to give good to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is raising up in this day a spirit-drenched church to reach the lost before the return of Jesus. God is raising up a spirit-baptized church A people who will be able to overcome fear, rationalizations, and minister to the bank teller, to the grocery clerk, to the neighbor, to the other parent at the playground. God is raising up that church. And he's doing it now. He's doing it now. So... Uh, I want to pray for people. Our prayers of the people today will just be this, I suppose. Uh, If I could have, Laura, would you come up? And Father Dave is going to pray with me. And we're just going to have some time of worship. We're going to uh, connect our hearts with the fathers. That's the most important thing this morning, right? And we might miss a few things here and there. We're going to do our best to work our way towards communion. But we need to have communion in this way um, first. And so I want to just invite people to... Altar, and you might um, it, primarily because you.